Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello everybody and welcome to the greatest games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. Today with Jonathan and myself, we have Nicholas Blinko, author, uh, writer of the most uh, recently published More Noble Than War, A Soccer History of Israel-Palestine. Nicholas, pleasure to have you here. Really good to be here. Um, Now, you've gone for the most niche game so far that we've had on this particular podcast. Well, it's not niche if you're Israeli. It's it's the big game. And there's the point, uh, everybody. Um, You've gone for, we go back to 1928, the Lord Mon-sponsored Tel Aviv derby between Maccabee and Hapoel. Over to you, Nicholas. I'll be honest with you, I don't know much about this at all. (laughs) Um, Well, the reason that this match is is such a kind of mm. conflict in itself is that um, the Hapoel team, which at the time were called Allenby, which is a street in Tel Aviv, Allenby had split with Maccabee, so they're actually Maccabee's youth team. And they got so angry with the Maccabee organisation that they'd first split and then they'd signed up with the rival socialist trade union movement, which is, they have a sports association called Hapoel, which means the workers in Israel. And they'd become the kind of flagship socialist team so Maccabee which was really the team of the bosses it was the team of shop owners builders property magnets the kind of the kind of old guard or the core of Tel Aviv which was a new city but it was already 30 years old Mm. so it had these this kind of old guard there they set up the Maccabee and then the their workers who kept going on strike and arguing with them signed up their youth team and it just became a really, really uh, rivalrous conflict. They didn't even play each other at all for two years. Mm -hmm. So it it took quite a lot of organisation even to get the the first Tel Aviv derby off the ground. Do you you want to explain a little bit about the the Maccabee movement um, Mm. and and sort of its its ideals and and why, why I guess from the very start, there's this politicised aspect to, to sport? In, in Palestine? 
Yeah, um, well, the Maccabee wasn't originally called the Maccabee. It was a, it was a gymnastics association based in Jaffa. This was before Tel Aviv even, even existed. Um, Russians, Russian Jews who'd moved to Jaffa in the from the 1890s onwards set up a gymnastics association in 1905. And there were gymnastics associations appearing all over Europe. And what they mean by gymnastics at the time is basically calisthenics. They were standing, doing drills, holding clubs. So this is the idea of turnen you have in, in Germany, this sort of a way mm. of preparing the body for, for physical activity in which war is somehow kind of implicit. Yes. It, in fact, it was a Czech movement called the Sokol, which were the, the big influence on them. But yeah, it was drill. It, they, they were a kind of paramilitary organisation and they were very much about Jewish self-defence. They were... And in fact, the guy who was put in charge of them was a Russian soldier and he was put in charge because he was, um, he was a security officer for, for the farms of the, of the local businessmen. So this guy, Zvi Nishri, uh, who at the time was called Zvi Orlov, was put in charge of them. And he was there because he was a soldier and he was training the young men to be fit, but also training them in self-defense. The strange thing about Nishri is that he wasn't actually Jewish. He was part of a, a kind of Christian, Russian, uh, millenarian, almost Protestant-style Christians who'd gone so far back to basics that they'd kind of rejected the New Testament and become, well, kind of saw themselves as Jews. And there were so few Jews at the time that they were they were kind of accepted. Well, I think that's that's worth sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the kind of dangers to adding layer upon layer <laughs> of the background, but just sort of explaining the situation mm-hmm. in Palestine around the time of the First World War and then the, the first decade or so afterwards. Yeah, well, before the First World War, um, Palestinian Arabs were by far the biggest majority, and, but there were big Jewish communities. And it's part of the Ottoman Empire at the time. And it's part of the Ottoman Empire, yeah. So there's there's a community in Jaffa, which is predominantly Russian. There's a community in Jerusalem, which is less political and much, much more religious. I mean, this all gets very involved, but there's a, a society called the Sons of Moses who basically set up Tel Aviv and set up organisations and institutes like the Maccabee, uh, which becomes Maccabee Tel Aviv just before the First World War. Uh, the Maccabees being a... Um, a group of Jewish revolutionaries in Greek time. So they're, they're looking... And then back. the word means hammer, is that right? It, mean, it means hammer in Aramaic, and Judah Maccabee is the hammer of the Jews. Right. So he was the great revolutionary of, um, of the Greek era. So they're looking back to that. They set up the Maccabees. And, um, but it's still really an athletic... Uh, it's really a gymnastics mm. self-defence self association. So where, so where did the where did the football side of things then come in? Well, it's because the very youngest kids liked football. Football mm. was really taking off. It had been the flagship event at the, I believe, 1908 Olympics in London. Mm-hmm. Kids really loved football. Um, and then two French brothers uh, came and visited Tel Aviv and they introduced they, some coaching. They, but did they introduce sort of organised football or was it just the coaching side of things they... Um, in. They must have brought in the organised side because suddenly you're getting team photographs which didn't exist before. People right, are wearing okay. strips. Right. They're actually wearing the same strips. I'm not quite sure how the games work, but you know, mm-hmm. a, a team. By that point, there were three sports associations: the, the Maccabee, Tel Aviv, Maccabee, Petah Tikva, and um, 
third Maccabee Association. Who's, mm-hmm. But they're all very close to each other. And they're all wearing the same strip, but they start playing each other and they play each other at an annual games festival, which is, again is mostly wrestling and gymnastics. I was going to say this. <laughs> how did football then sort of come in? Um, as obviously you said about the, the, the two French guys yeah. that sort of introduced it. Were... I don't know, more traditionalists or, or people into more gymnastics, maybe older generations, were they suspicious? Did they not care about football? How was it? How was, it was it Was it welcomed in by everybody? Um, it was treated with some sus- suspicion. This, mm-hmm. It was seen... It's hard to think of this now, but football was seen as too individualistic. Right. Um, but it didn't really teach the, the strength of the core. People get the ball and run off and do their own thing on the pitch. I mean, it, as far as I understand, um, there, there wasn't much tactics at the time. And certainly, Zvi Nishri thought that it just didn't instill the discipline of the core. It was a too wild and buccaneering and cavalier. Uh, I mean, this is an exact parallel to what was happening in Central Europe. Mm. You had, you know, I mentioned the German idea of Turnen uh, in, in Hungarian, uh, Torna. So, yep. so Ferenc Farish's name is FTC and the T is, is Torna. It's the Ferenc Farish Torna Club. So you see that Lucy translated as gymnastics club, but that that doesn't really explain what it is. It, it is this. Yeah, I think calisthenics is, is a much better way of translating it, but it's, that's not even quite it. Is it? It's mm. a sort of a militarized, uh, you know, a community form of uh, of keep fit, and it, it's it, you know it's it's the British in 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 Central Europe, and then the Hungarians as. It's my recent book, as <laughs> Longo explains, who who who, who you know, who carry that their style of football. Um, I mean, presumably there was a, a British influence in terms of delivering football to Palestine as well, because it was St George's in Jerusalem. Yeah, the the British introduced it into their public schools, and the public schools were mostly for wealthy Palestinian Arabs. So does families. it then sort of become a game of the elite? It does for the Palestinian Arabs. Right, okay. um, And it's a game for the elite insofar as the Maccabee Club is is a club of quite well-to-do Jewish people in in Tel Aviv and mm. Jaffa at the time. But by the 1920s, when the British are now in control, they've defeated the Ottoman Empire, the British are in control. There's new investment in Palestine. The government is a, is a mix of both the British military authorities and a new organisation that's been set up to help govern Palestine called the, um, the Jewish Agency for Palestine. Because there's so much investment and it's investment aimed at bringing a Jewish population into Palestine. You're getting all these Jewish workers coming in from industrial cities. And then what, what sort of what what would have been the proportion of the population that was Jewish in in say 1920 or, or 1925? Uh, in the whole country, there were 85,000 Jews by that point. There'd been a lot of immigration out of a total of uh, that's 11 percent. 11 percent, right? Yeah. Okay, so pretty. Pretty small. Yeah, so it's about three quarters of a million people live, live in Palestine. But Tel Aviv is an almost entirely Jewish Tel, Tel, Tel Aviv is is a suburb at this point in 1920, and it's got a population of maybe 15,000. Most people li- live in Jaffa. And by that point, it's pretty much half and half Arabic and Jewish. And then if you add Tel Aviv on, there is a Jewish ascendancy in the seaport, which is the Jaffa-Tel Jaffa, Aviv seaport. Um, a lot of wealthy Russian Jews there, but there's, suddenly there's all these mm-hmm. working class Jews coming in from the cities that used to be the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which has just dissolved. So they're fleeing the chaos post-First World War. Yeah, and they're looking for work. Yeah, well. which of course is why that, that Budapest school I talk about in my book is is so 
um, influential on a global scale because people were getting out of of Budapest and, and I guess Austro-Hungarian Empire mm-hmm. as a whole because of economic chaos and political chaos. That you know, the, 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 there's mass uh, emigration, and so the ideas that grew up there are taken around the world very, very quickly. Yeah, you, you in your you, but you speak about the um, the younger players and well, the younger people who became football players who came from the Austro-Hungarian cities. Mm. So there's a class, ethnic, obviously cultural difference, mm. which you, which you've mentioned. Um, against established club members who were Russian and favoured gymnastics. Mm. Now, again, something we, or you touched on earlier about maybe gymnastics versus football there. How was how did that then then play out? Because we're, we're into the 1920s, and mm. of course, the derby that we're going to talk about is in 1928. So presumably football is growing. There's more interest. Yes. Well, the British are pumping... Um, the British are encouraging it. They're starting leagues, which are... To start off with, they're military leagues, but they decide to open them up to the population. There are friendly matches between the Maccabee and British military sides. So, I mean, friendly in the loosest sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you read the reports of some of them, and they say it was, they were just hammering at each other, but they were intended to be friendly. I mean, the the there was a head of the Jewish the deputy head of the Jewish agency, Colonel Kish had been a British soldier and wanted there to be very close relationships and friendly friendly relations. And he created the Shield of Samson to which was what the first Jewish tournament to try That's and, a hell of a name for a tournament, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Were long head players allowed in there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the football in Maccabee is getting a little bit better. There's a guy called uh, Lumek, uh, which is a nickname. He's called Ratner, Lumek Ratner. And he, he'd played with the great Hakua Vienna side, but he never played with the real side. He'd just been a part of the Hakua, which is a Viennese sports association. He'd been there before the war. So, and he played football with them. And he brought this to Palestine. So he did have some knowledge mm-hmm. of football tactics. And he was a decent player by all accounts. And so he was improving the Maccabee. He was you know, teaching these kind of princes of the city, quite wealthy people, how to play. And they, they were getting better and they were playing the military sides. And one of the one of the things that really exploded the popularity of football was the visit of Hakua Vienna, which by 1925 was perhaps the best team in Austria, even though it was a Jewish side. I'd, I'd say the best team probably in, in continental Europe. Uh, I mean, Hakua, I think, are uh, you know, a, a fascinating case that... If they were founded in, in 1909, they, they sort of really pick up just after the First World War. They get promoted, I, I think, 1920. Uh, but then they you know, they play West Ham, mm. draw at home, beat them 5-0 <laughs> in London. Yeah. I mean, I suspect not the not a full-strength West Ham side, sure. but nonetheless, given the status of English football at the time, this was a an utterly incredible result. I mean, mm. if you read the... West Ham weren't even playing at the London Stadium at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you if you, you know, if you read the, the Daily Mail's match report, it's, it speaks in absolutely glowing terms. Yeah. If I call it, mm-hmm. this wasn't a freakish result. It was, I mean, how can five nil be a freak? Sure, you? sure. Um, they were a really, really good side, and then they win the they win the Austrian League in 1925. And mm. the Austrian League at that point was the only professional league outside of Britain in the world. So it's an extraordinary fact that I so, mean that, that Austro-Hungarian part of the world, as we, as we know in the 30s, Austria and then Hungary and so on. That was the hotbed of, of really sort of world footballing talent, you'd say. Yeah, yeah. and, and Hakko of Vienna really picked up on that. One of the reasons they, they were so good 
is that there was a rise in Austrian nationalism and the other teams were really only drawing their players from this new country, Austria. But Hakko Vienna went out to all of the cities of the old Austro-Hungarian Empire and were employing um, were employing Hungarians like uh, Bela Gutmann and uh, uh, Sandor. Shonda Fabian? Yeah. Um, Shonda Fabian, the great goalkeeper who... I mean, this is this is a story that you you you. Here we go. Well, you know, you, 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 one of the reasons why sporting fiction fails is that you know, the, the 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 sort of the the extraordinary stories you get in real life, when written down when they're not real, sound ludicrous. Mm. So they go into the final game of the season. Um, they need to win, uh, and Sean the Fabian, their goalkeeper. Uh, breaks his arm, gets an arm injury. Mm. Anyway, his, his arm's in a sling. There's no substitute no, He goes out on the wing and, of course, he scores the winner <laughs> uh, to, to to win them the league. I mean, it's a story you couldn't... Yeah, you, you, if you scripted that, it would look absurd. I mean, it's a... Oh, yeah, if it was Hollywood, you'd say, oh, come on. It's, you know, it's, it's Pele coming off a bench and escape to victory to score score yeah. the overhead kick with his with his arm in a sling. After Sylvester Stallone has saved uh, the penalty. So before. It, oh, was it before that? Okay, yeah, yeah I sometimes forget. Um, and, of course, that was filmed at MT Car's ground in Budapest. MT Car, the sort of the non-militant Jewish club of Budapest. Uh, anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> um, oddly relevant. <laughs> it's, it's worth... I mean, it's worth saying that Hakua weren't in any sense of uh, just a sports team they, they were mm. they were set up specifically to, to promote the idea of muscular mm-hmm. Judaism and also to, to raise funds for, for Zionism to basically to raise money to, to buy land in Palestine absolutely um, and we're going to talk about more uh, about Hakua and uh, all this uh, fascinating stuff after this Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. So, so one, one of the ways Hakko made the money that they they needed for you know t- to, to promote Zionism was was tours, yes. and, and they toured everywhere all the time. I mean, incredible schedules, uh, and the, the tour that's relevant here is the one they, they make to the Middle East and, and North Africa. Yeah, in, in, well, they in make the, two, don't they? Twenty four and twenty five. Uh, twenty five and twenty six. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, so the the February nineteen twenty five tour, they'd been to Egypt already. Um, they played in Cairo and Alexandria and once they were in Palestine they played uh, British sites in Haifa and Jerusalem but the big one the, the one that that really changed everything was the the Hakua Tel Aviv match um, Tel Aviv train station was brand new at the time and it was absolutely covered with people from 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 dawn by the afternoon they, there were 10,000 people just waiting uh waiting to watch the match and beforehand that they had the 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 drills the the calisthenics and the gymnastic displays the big thing was forming a human menorah which was like a human pyramid but inverted to make it even more difficult <laughs> right if you're going to talk about inverting pyramids <laughs> <you know. laughs> there's another book <laughs> but yeah sorry nicholas you were it it was a phenomenally successful match obviously hakko won quite easily it was 5-1 and the story is that the one goal they allowed Ratner to score one goal as a, <laughs> as consola- a former player. Yeah, though. as an old boy. <laughs> <laughs> but five one wasn't really that that bad by the time, and everyone expected the Maccabees to lose. Um, and so football really, really took off. And then uh, they came again the next year, where they they absolutely hammered the Maccabees the next year. It was something like twelve one. And that, that was the, the absolute height of our course. They, they, were, they mm. arrived as league champions. Yeah. Yes, they were. If it was early 26, they won the league in mm. 25. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and then, then the Maccabees went off to Vienna for a tour. But they, they, left the, um, they left the youth team behind. Well, the youth team actually came from these cities. They could have visited relatives. Uh, and they certainly wanted to be paid to play football. And this was one of the few times where it was clearly professionalised because people got a per diem. Um, and were, were being paid to play football. So the youth team was just so angry that they resigned en masse. And they all virtually, virtually all of them lived on the same street, which is Allenby Street in Tel Aviv, which runs down from the highest mm. ridge to the sea. So all the nicest houses were on the top of the ridge. And they lived, not slums, mm. but they lived in poorer working Classic yeah. accommodation running down to the sea. See, people nowadays, they moan about young players wanting this, that and the other and going on strike and so on. It was happening in the 1920s. Absolutely. In, in Israel-Palestine, yeah. Um, so, the, uh, yeah, the Allenby boys resigned. Uh, they all knew each other. They, in the end, they, they all seemed to have married, married each other's sisters. So a guy called Noodleman <laughs> mar- married the sister of two brothers <laughs> called uh, Polyarkov or Polyakov, I guess. But, but so, so, but they they then join up with with Hapoel with this socialist organisation. 
Yeah, that that's the that's the big thing. They were independent for years, Allenby Tel Aviv, and then they sign up with Hapoel. And this is uh, this is the labor, the future Labour Party, the big socialist organisation, really decide that they're going to stick it to the bosses by signing up these young rebels <laughs> and making them the the flagship team. And it's not it's not even popular within the Labour movement because there's already a Dockers team in Haifa. Um, who could conceivably be the the flagship team and certainly regard themselves as being the first uh, socialist team in Israel. But the flagship team is these young boys. But they still refuse to play. They they start playing socialist teams elsewhere in Palestine and they'll play social. They go on tours to play socialist teams abroad, but they just refuse to play Maccabee and Maccabee refused to play them. And it was because of the, again, the example of Hakoa that... um, who by now are the kind of the world's Jewish team. Everyone who's Jewish knows Hakoa well, and lo- love them. Hakoa went on, on a huge, I mean, in some ways, too successful a tour of, of the, the US and then down through Central America into South America in the summer of 1926. And they, they play a team, a, a sort of combined New York team at, at the Polo Grounds in New York and get a crowd of over 40,000, which is the biggest crowd for a soccer match in the US until Pele joins the Cosmos. Mm. In, in you know, fifty years later, and almost fifty years later, that's extraordinary, right. isn't it? Uh, so, so that's how how big it was. But the problem is that um, once people in in the US, once entrepreneurs start to see these vast crowds coming to watch this touring team, and they played twenty odd games, I mean, an extraordinary <laughs> number of matches. Th- those entrepreneurs think, "Hang on, there's money to be made here," so they start signing them. Uh, so there's two. Two entrepreneurs in particular, Nat Agar and Morris van der Vega. Uh, Agar runs, uh, let me get this right way around, runs Brooklyn Wanderers. Van der Vega runs New York Giants, the two biggest New York teams. And yeah, they signed Gutman. And yeah. I, I, think, mm. I think between them, they signed nine players. And then Agar, the following summer, he decides that actually the real money is if you control not just the, the you know, teams in the US, but also the touring side. So he gets um, a Hungarian... Uh, an old Hungarian Jewish player called Arpad Deutsch to to go around Central Europe and Palestine and find Jewish players to form a team called the Maccabees ah. to go and, and, and tour around around the US. Uh with the yeah uh, and the, the, the announcements made um the, the, you know they, they go to a hotel in New York when they arrive, they get the head of the US Zionist organization there and the announcements made fifty percent of all funds we make will be donated to the Zionist movement. But the, that, that tour was nowhere near successful, partly because the remnant of Hakoa also went on tour, and partly because all the good players are already <laughs> playing in the US. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Well, um, well Lord yes. Mond, who founded the ICI in Britain, mm-hmm. saw the success of Hakoa, and he, mm. won- and he was so thrilled by Tel Aviv on his first visit. He, be- he became the world chairman of the Maccabee Association, put huge amounts of resources into it. But his big dream was to create another Hakoa, but one that just came from Palestine, was based around the Maccabee, Maccabee Tel Aviv side and would tour. But in order to create a national side in Palestine, a national Jewish side in Palestine, um, the teams had to start talking to each other. So that's why there was a, t- a Tel Aviv so he, derby. He, he wanted to pick players from both teams. So yeah. they combined... Yeah, he wanted it to be a national side. Right, but, the, yeah. but these two sides obviously had fallen out mm. due to all the youth players and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, was he instrumental in 
sort of trying to get them in the same room as it was. Yes, yes, he was. He he sponsored them and then sponsored a tournament. He was also very close to a guy called Yekia Tielli. Yeah, I don't think anybody will question that. <laughs> <laughs> well, his daughter might, who's still alive. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, he was very close to to this guy, Yekitieli, who mm. wanted to join the Olympic movement. At this time, FIFA is still part of the Olympic movement. Mm. So it, it's a way to to become a member of the Olympic movement and have a, a national Jewish side, which would be a Palestinian side, represent um, represent Jews worldwide at the Olympic Games. So he, he was really a gymnast, but he, he latched onto football as a way to get into Olympics. Lord, Lord Mond, who was a real football fan, uh, latched onto football. But well, Lord Mond sponsored a cup in Wales as well. Yes, right? he did. It's, it's the oldest cup, apparently. Arthur Mond. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, his, his brother Robert Mond was one of the big archaeologists at the time. So he was uh, digging first in Egypt, and then there was a rebellion. So he moved to Palestine and set up the big museum in Jerusalem, which at the time was called the the Palestine Museum, but it's now called uh, the Rockefeller Museum. Okay. <laughs> But I mean, so we, we find ourselves come to 1928, mm. and uh, as we say, the first Tel Aviv derby, Maccabi Tel Aviv versus versus Hapoel, mm. Allenby Tel Aviv, and, and as you say, the derby was sponsored by Lord Mond. Mm. Um, this is huge in terms of, I mean, you could say world football history, but certainly Israeli, uh, Palestine yeah. football history. Uh, but this is the first derby in, in mm. 1928. This is years before huge footballing countries have even got proper league set up and, uh, mm. and all that kind of stuff so how did the game play out um they were very very worried about crowd violence so um because of the rivalries between yeah the because two of the rivalries so they they banned um they banned rattles which were these big heavy <laughs> yeah, rattles yeah, that's, that's how you do it that's how you pacify <laughs> the crowd <laughs> but people were drinking before the game so there was a bar on allenby street and that's where all the Hapoel. Uh, all the workers gathered mm-hmm. and then there was another bar which at the time was really on the borders of Jaffa in, a, in an area that's now called Shabazz. Um, Tel Aviv's got bigger so it's now within Tel Aviv but at the time it was in the kind of the red light area so that's where the Maccabees were meeting. Right. <laughs> they, they were drinking in the red light district right. and uh, um, and and the Hapoel ones were drinking Allenby and then they all kind of congregated and came down what was now Carmel Market towards the Palm Court, which was the name of the the name of the football ground mm-hmm. at the time. It was called the Palm Court because there were just a couple of palm trees by the side of it. But the joke was that the big hotels always called their ballrooms the Palm Court. And so they were joking that their kind of scrappy little football I ground was, was a glamorous... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So uh, the match was 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 won three nil by uh, Maccabee. Yes, it it was. It, I mean, it sounds fairly comprehensive. It doesn't. There aren't that many uh, reports of yeah. quite why it went like that. But the story is that um, Hapoel just didn't have their best players. Noodleman, who was uh, played for Hapoel for about ten years, he was a very small man, but apparently just a really really fast winger. There's a poem dedicated to him that was written by the guy who at the time was kind of the national poet of the of the Jews of Palestine, called Alexander Penn. Um, and that was printed on the front page of a newspaper. So Noodleman was quite good, but he couldn't play for some reason. There was another guy 
called Willy Berger, who was, um, again, was a Hungarian. Something you wouldn't want to see on a menu, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, he, if he was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are too many, isn't there, John? He, he, was, he was a professional goalkeeper from Hungary. He, he played for, for VAC. Yeah. Uh, now, now, VAC is the is a Budapest equivalent of Hakua. They, they were the... The, the 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 sort of militant Zionist team. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. They initially wanted to call themselves uh, the Jewish Athletic Association, mm-hmm. and they'd been prevented from doing that because there was a, at a time in Hungary there was a ban on overtly religious names for sporting organisations. I see. So they chose the name VAC, which stands for whatever the Hungarian for fencing athletic club is. But the reason they chose it is because the V and the A, if you superimpose them on each other, you can form the, the Star of David. Ah, uh, very clever. But it was never as... I mean, I th- and I think this tells you a lot about the differences of the Jewish experience in Budapest and Vienna, mm-hmm. that the Zionist team in Budapest was never anywhere near as successful as, as the one in Vienna. I mean, um, you know, famously, uh, Herzl called, called uh, Hungary the, the withered vine on the tree of Jewry. <laughs> Because he, he was so furious that he wouldn't get behind it, the, you know, the Zionism. But I mean, we're drifting off off a point, but partly because Jews sure. were so well assimilated mm. in Hungary at, at the time, although obviously it didn't take long for that to, to fall apart after mm. the First World War. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Willy Berger had been um, kind of poached from a Hungarian team with a promise that if he came over to Palestine, he would tour America with a, with a team from Haifa. And he got over to and realised that this was just complete fantasy. There was just no tour, no likelihood. It's just incredible tour. how many of these tours were being planned <laughs> at any one time. People <laughs> moan about teams doing tours nowadays, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> well, um, so he, he yeah. got a, he got a job coaching in Tiberius on the Lake Galilee instead, because of Lord Mon's money. There was the Maccabee Association was setting up new associations all over the country. They set up a new one in in the Galilee, and he coached there, Berger coached there for a while, and then got poached to play for Allenby. But he either, it was, the match must either have been just before his time or he hadn't been registered in time because for some reason he wasn't playing Mm. that day. But he was playing a couple of months later, and that's when uh, they met again. And uh, Allenby beat them. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I mean, we we sort of, bring it more up to date because the, the Tel Aviv derby is, mm. is still quite a big one and, and yeah. that's where it started in, in 1928. But am I right in saying Happerwell still the, the red side, if you like, of, of Tel Aviv? Yeah, it's still regarded as, as the red side and it's got a really strong uh, Labour history behind it and it tends to be the team supported by even the Palestinians of Jaffa, the Arab the Arab population of the kind of Jaffa-Tel Aviv uh, Mm-hmm. Conurbation sure. would would support Hapoel because of the red team and the because trade the trade union movement allows some way for for Palestinians to engage politically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might not be an easy answer to this, mm-hmm. um, but why do you think when in in Britain football clubs were very much you know, small organic movers? You know, maybe a church would set up a club, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be the the club of the church as a whole. It'd be the, the club of St Anne's Church in in Lytham or whatever. Mm. Um, why, why do you think in in Palestine uh, the, the clubs immediately felt the need to affiliate with much wider, much much bigger bodies? I think to start off with, the, there was a, just a genuine dispute between um, the bosses who were Russian and right wing, and um, the newcomers who were workers left wing, and liked football more. So we had you know had that resentment that their game was was being badly managed 
uh, and then they spread out across the country. So at first it's that, but also there were even as early as 1926, there, there was a real disappointment that the the Maccabee organization under Yekatieli was thinking about the Olympics that, um, instead of thinking about self-defense. So even in 1926, the first kind of alternative had been formed, which was the forerunner of Betar, which, okay. which is the great, you know, kind of ultra-right wing or uh, sports association. And there's really only three sports associations in Israel. It's uh, Maccabee, Hapoel, and Betar. Okay. There you are. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of our time, but but if you do want to know more um, uh, about this, then then do check out um, Nicholas's uh, new book, More Noble Than War, A Soccer History of Israel-Palestine. Uh, fascinating stuff indeed. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. Uh, as always, Jonathan, thank you. Cheers. And thank you for listening to um, The Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. Issue 34 of The Blizzard is now available. Go to theblizzard.co.uk for more information there. We'll see you next week. was a Stakhanov production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.